Good morning and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church Online. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, it's good to have each and every one of you uh, tuned in for our special uh, Advent message this morning. Christmas Eve is just around the corner, and I'd like to invite you to uh, join us uh, for a special online service December 24th at 3 p.m. Uh, we will be live streaming it then, uh, but if you'd like to watch it at 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock or Christmas Day or the following week or sometime in 2021, uh, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, but we will be live streaming on December 24th at 3 p.m. In preparation for that worship service, I want to invite you uh, to come by my house, uh, actually, and to pick up a candle as well as communion elements. I know so many of us look forward to Christmas and that, that moment where we all light our candles and we sing Silent Night together. And I also know that uh, receiving Holy Communion on Christmas Eve is also an important part of our celebration. And so uh, there will be more information in the Thursday tidings with specifics. Uh, but for now, just know that uh, Christmas Eve is uh, coming soon. And I want to invite you to come by my house and pick up those two items uh, to prepare. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I do want to invite you to go to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah is pretty much in the middle of your Bible. And so I uh, want to invite you to go to Isaiah 9 this morning is where we're going to be looking at our text and our story. Well, it is the, sec uh, the third Sunday in Advent. And Advent has been this season of waiting, of preparing our hearts uh, to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, who came into the world uh, 2,000 years ago. But we also are celebrating and uh, looking forward to when Jesus comes back again, uh, because he's got more work to do in this world. And this year, as we are uh, preparing uh, to celebrate Christmas, uh, we're thinking about this idea of peace. Because uh, we live in a world uh, where there is not much peace. We live in a community where there's not much peace. We even live uh, with our families, and there's always not a lot of peace. And for so many of us, we don't have to look outside of our own lives, our own hearts, to know that there is not much peace uh, in even our own hearts. And so we've been spending a few weeks talking about and thinking about what it means to experience God's peace in the world. And we're looking at several Old Testament characters and their lives and how they experienced God's peace in their lives. And this morning, we're going to look at perhaps a familiar text, at least a, a familiar text during the Advent season of a prophet by the name of Isaiah. So let us pray as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word uh, this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather around your word God, we thank you for the ways in which you have been so faithful to your people for generations. And Lord, we pray that uh, during this year, uh, this season of uh, challenges, 
um, that your Holy Spirit might continue to speak to us and offer us uh, peace, the peace that can only come from you. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was without question one of the greatest poets of our American history. He was known as uh, America's uh, singer. He was a poet that did uh, so much uh, that very few poets can do uh, and, and in his day. One, number one, he was famous while being a poet in his day. And number two is that he actually got paid uh, to be a poet in his day. Longfellow uh, has written lots and lots of poems, um, and many uh, of his poems have been uh, put, into, put to music uh, and put into song. Uh, perhaps uh, one of Longfellow's uh, most famous uh, songs that we sing uh, every year at Christmas time is, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Perhaps you've sung that song in church. It goes a little bit like this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now, originally, when Longfellow wrote this poem, there were six stanzas. But when he gave the six stanzas, the entire poem uh, to the publishing house, who was going to put it to song, to music, they said, let's get rid of the middle three. We like the first couple, and we, we like the last one, but let's kind of get rid of the middle ones. And the backstory to I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day is that Longfellow wrote this poem in 1863. And the Civil War between the states was raging in America. And just earlier uh, that year, Longfellow's son had signed up, enlisted to fight uh, in the Civil War, and he was shot and killed. And so Longfellow uh, was grieving uh, while he wrote this poem. But even more than that, two years prior, Longfellow lost his wife in a tragic house fire. And so as Wadsworth Longfellow was uh, approaching Christmas, he said to others around him, Christmas has no joy, Christmas has no peace for me. And so he wrote this poem, and in the middle of the poem, there are additional stanzas that he wrote that we usually don't sing on Christmas. Then from each blank and accursed mouth, cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong. It mocks the song 
of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Turns out that Longfellow uh, actually didn't really like those Christmas bells. Christmas was a, a, a painful time for him. And you may not be having a Longfellow Christmas this year, but we are all experiencing uh, Christmas just a little bit different. 2020 has been a very difficult year, and as we kind of come to a close with 2020, many of us are grieving that things are different for sure. And so many of us uh, in this season are stressed and filled with anxiety. A friend recently reminded me that uh, previous Christmases, uh, that they're filled with stress and anxiety because of all the baking and, and cooking and parties and, and planning and visiting and decorations and, and shopping. And then my friend said, you know, so much of that is gone this year. But the stress and the anxiety of this season is still with us. But of course, for different reasons. Because Christmas will be different this year. Christmas is already different this year. And so we're asking ourselves the question, where is the peace on earth and goodwill toward men? You know, this idea uh, that Longfellow had and really struggled with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. This is really something that God's people have struggled with uh, from almost the beginning of time. God's people, the Israelites, time and time again, struggled with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And I think about a particular instance uh, in uh, the history of God's people, the Israelites. It was right after King David and King Solomon were very successful and very prosperous on the throne. And shortly after King Solomon's reign ended, it was in about the year 960 BC, a new king was on the throne and his name was Rehoboam. And things started to fall apart for the nation of Israel, God's people. And because of God's uh, the people, their, their disobedience, the ways in which they turned from God in so many ways, God had given them so much. And God's people said, you know what, God, we'll take it from here. We don't need to follow your law, your rules, your guidance anymore. We're good on our own. So in that year, um, the kingdom of Israel split in two. And in the north was Israel, the, the, the nation of Israel. And in the south was the nation of Judah. And God's people would be divided now for hundreds and hundreds of years. And all God's people really knew for those next several generations was conflict, disease, hardship and struggle and wars all around. There was no peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It was just difficult times over and over and over. And one day, uh, the king of Judah in the southern kingdom got word that there were a couple uh, of his enemies surrounding uh, his nation who were getting ready to attack. 
and things were getting worse and worse and worse, and he was terribly afraid. And the people all around him got, became terribly afraid because they knew that when they, these outside nations were going to attack on Judah, that things could easily and would easily fall apart. So try to imagine this. There was great political instability at this time, and there was anxiety everywhere all around among the people. Now, I know it's really hard to imagine that in 2020, but that was the context for the prophet Isaiah to show up. And so onto the scene, God sends this man, this prophet Isaiah. And the role of a prophet was really twofold. They were foretellers, meaning they were to tell the truth uh, to the powers of the day. And they were also uh, foretellers, meaning that they would speak about the future of what was going on with God's people. And most of the time, uh, the powers of the day didn't want to hear the forth telling, the truth telling that the prophets came to bring. Because you and I, we would rather not hear the truth as it relates to our sin. We would just rather go on our merry way, uh, living in the truth uh, that God loves us, that God is watching over us, that God cares for us, and that there's nothing we can do that he will stop loving us. And that is all true. We want to hear that all day long. But we don't want to hear about the sin and the ways in which we've turned from God. But the role of the prophet, make no mistake about it, was to speak that truth towards the powers of the day, to let them know that their sin was causing problems. And oftentimes these prophets would go into great detail to explain their sin to the powers of the day, and they would say, knock it off. You've got to stop sinning against God. And this is oftentimes why the prophets in the Old Testament, they were not very popular figures. In fact, many of them were killed because they were telling the truth. But the second role, of course, of uh, an Old Testament prophet was to speak about the future, about the way things would be in the future. And so the Old Testament uh, book of Isaiah uh, begins with lots of truth-telling. It begins with lots of, hey, folks, things are really bad right now, and here's why. And one of the things I love about Isaiah is he was a lot like Longfellow. He was a poet, and so he would just tell it like it is uh, in lots and lots of detail. And for eight chapters, uh, as, as the Old Testament book of Isaiah begins, there is Isaiah telling it like it is, painting a picture of Israel's disobedience and Israel's uh, sin against God and the consequences of that sin and all the darkness going on around them. And so this is how be, uh, Isaiah begins uh, the book of Isaiah. O oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And then it just goes on and on and on with all this poetic language. And you can understand very quickly 
why people did not want to hear Isaiah's message. Because frankly, it's a message of doom and gloom. It's a message of great darkness. It's a message of uh, hellfire and brimstone. Over and over and over, Isaiah is laying the picture for what's going on, and it is dark. It is really dark. And Isaiah's doing what he's supposed to do as a prophet. He's telling the truth. And that there are consequences to when we turn our backs on God and we sin against God. But then in chapter 9 of Isaiah, the prophet shifts. He changes from talking about the truth of the day and he shifts toward talking about the truth of tomorrow into the future. And then he begins to foretell the future and let God's people to know, even though things are really bad now, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at Isaiah 9, beginning with verse 2. Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness, that's the Israelites, of course, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire." For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end." Isaiah knew and understood that the people were longing for peace. Just like today, we're longing for peace. And in Isaiah's day, much like today, people look for peace in all sorts of different places. And we really have two different options. We can either look to the ways of the world for peace, or we can look up to God, to our Heavenly Father, and invite God to give us peace. And oftentimes, like the Israelites, we, we're not looking up. We're looking around, looking for peace. And one of the ways I see people looking for peace today is in their political leaders, People oftentimes, especially over the past few months, right? We think to ourselves and we just say it out loud. If we could just find the right person to sit in that office in our nation's capital, then there would be peace. 
If we could just find the right person uh, to lead the, our, our, our state in Springfield, then there would be peace. If we could just find the right politician or politicians in our community, then we'd have peace in our community. If we could just find the right people nationally, statewide, and locally to fill those roles, then there would be peace. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care who you put in the White House. I don't care who you put in the governor's mansion. I don't care who you put in, in Congress, in the legislature. There will be no peace in our politics. If we are looking to our politicians to bring about peace in our nation, in our state, and in our community, we will always be disappointed. We've got hundreds of years now to show that the politicians who lead our nation, who lead our communities, are not the answer to finding peace in this world. You know, we look for peace in, in other areas. We look for peace in our technology. We look to our cell phones and our computers and say, ah, oh, look at this great piece of technology. You know, the more I can uh, save time, once I can have this wonderful piece of technology, then I'll be able to have so much more free time to be able to do the things I want. Then I'll be able to rest. Then I'll be able to relax. Then I'll be able to have a little bit of peace. But the truth is, and we all know this, the more time we spend on technology, the more time we spend around all of our gadgets and on our phones, the less peace we have, and frankly, the more anxiety we have in our lives. Technology has not brought us peace. And I think we all know that from personal experience. We also know that money and things don't bring peace. But that doesn't stop us. We keep trying to earn more money. We keep trying to buy more things, always thinking to ourselves falsely that if we just have more stuff, if we just have more money, then we'll have peace. But the truth is, the more money and the more stuff we have does not bring the peace that our hearts are longing for. Some of us even think that peace is found in uh, our status, in our job titles, or in our accomplishments. And so we, we work really hard to climb the corporate ladder, uh, to become successful, thinking all the while that the more status, the more followers, the more influence I have in my life, then I'll have peace. But we know that's not true. Because the more status, the more power, the more positions, uh, the more that we've got on our resume, it just it leads to more and more anxiety and stress and responsibility in our lives. And we look, you know, to pop culture and we can see all these famous people who have made it. Uh, they've become very successful uh, in their careers. They've even made it to the top, but they still don't have that sense of peace. A few years ago, I ran across this uh, interview, a, a quote from Madonna, somebody who had made it to the pinnacle of her career in the entertainment industry. And this is what Madonna said. She said, I have an iron will, but my iron will has always been to conquer a horrible feeling of inadequacy. 
My drive in life has come from this horrible feeling of being mediocre. It's always pushing me. And even though I've become somebody, I still feel like I've got to prove that I'm somebody. And the struggle never ends, and it probably will never end. And so for someone like Madonna and every other major singer, entertainer, Hollywood actor, there's this idea that there's always more. There's always more that I need to be successful. I never feel adequate or I still feel mediocre even though I've made it. And so we can even look to our own successes in the ways in which we climb the corporate ladder uh, to uh, experience and find God's peace in this world. We're a lot like the Israelites. In fact, in many ways, we are just like God's people, the Israelites. We long for peace in a broken world. And like the Israelites, we have two options. We can look to all the ways of the world to experience and find God's peace, or we can surrender looking around and looking up to who God has brought into the world to give us the peace that we can only experience through Jesus Christ. You know, this was uh, Napoleon Bonaparte's um, experience uh, when he walked on the earth. Napoleon, of course, was a very successful general. And on the eve of uh, the Battle of Waterloo, Napoleon had become so arrogant that uh, he called his generals together and he said, guys, here's what we're going to do. I want to attack early uh, tonight uh, so that we can defeat those fools by two o'clock tomorrow. And his generals all warned Napoleon, that's not a good idea. There's problems with the weather coming in. Uh, We think we should wait. And Napoleon said, no. Listen to me. This is what we're going to do is we are going to attack when I say we're going to attack. And one of his generals looked at Napoleon and said uh, this, man proposes, but God disposes. It's a riff uh, from Proverbs 16. He said that to Napoleon and Napoleon looked at this general and said, let me get this straight. I want you to hear this straight up from my mouth. Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. I'm going to do what I'm going to do and we're going to attack. And those of you who know uh, history know that it rained that night. And the cannons on which uh, they depended for their army to be successful got stuck in the mud And Napoleon met his Waterloo. Napoleon's army got wiped out badly. They were defeated. And Napoleon was sent off to an island. He was banished. And uh, he had a lot of free time while he lived on that island. And Napoleon decided at some point in time that he was going to pick up the Bible and start reading about another way in the world. Napoleon became very convinced that God's ways were different than man's ways. And so as he read about Jesus, he thought there is really a different way to live in this life. 
And so Napoleon wrote this after some time of being on that island and reading scripture. He wrote this, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself, we founded empires. But upon what foundations did our genius depend? Upon force they depended. Jesus alone founded his empire on love. And to this day, millions would die for him. Napoleon said, what we all long for, even my military might cannot provide. We all want that peace in our lives. And we have to choose what are the things that we are going to look for for peace? Who are we going to look for for peace? Are we going to look around at all the things of the world? Or are we going to look up and surrender our lives and say, God, I am tired of trying to find peace on my own. And Isaiah came to God's people and said, I know it's bad now. But things are going to get better. I'm sending to you a child. And he's not going to look like anyone mighty, like a mighty warrior. He's going to look like a tranquil little child. But that child is going to bring peace. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. You know, we live in a day and time where everybody's got a piece of advice for something, right? We've got counselors all around us yakking at us for, with all sorts of different uh, advice and, and how we ought to live our lives. But what Isaiah says is this is no just any old counselor. This is a wonderful counselor, a counselor that all of your self-help books will not hold a candle to. This is a counselor who will truly give you good advice for how you ought to live your life. He will be called Mighty God. In other words, this, this child that I am sending into the world, he is more powerful than any of the problems, any of the struggles that you will face. He is a God of power. He is an everlasting father. Our problems, our, 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 our struggles are temporary but we serve an everlasting Father, God who is with us for all of eternity. And so this child that is coming into the world, he will walk with you, he will live with you, he will lead you and guide you forever through all your temporary uh, troubles. And he will be called the Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word is shalom, and when we think of peace or shalom, we oftentimes think of the absence of conflict. And, and that's certainly true, and that is a part of peace or shalom and an absence of conflict. But shalom, God's peace is so much more. It means being whole. It means being fulfilled. It means being complete. And so when you encounter a person in Israel today and they look to you and they say, Shalom, they're not just saying hi. They are saying, may the peace of God complete you. May the peace of God fulfill you. May the peace of God be with you and hold you and carry you so that you are so overwhelmed with God's goodness in your life.
That's what shalom means and to experience the Prince of Peace. And we can't get that peace anywhere else in the world, even though we look for it. And this is why Longfellow's poem, those uh, six stanzas, even though they're dark and foreboding uh, in the middle, Longfellow understands that in the midst of the darkness, that's not the end of the story. This is the last two stanzas of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Longfellow says, I've put my trust in the things of this world. I've put my trust in the things that are temporary, and I've been disappointed. And as long as I put my trust in the things of this world, I'm not only going to be disappointed, but the world looks very, very dark. And then Longfellow courageously says, God is not dead. In fact, this is not the end of the story. Evil doesn't have the final say. Death doesn't even have the final say. He says that we can ring those bells on Christmas Day because there is good news coming. When we look up instead of out, God will meet us and offer us peace. And so on this Christmas of 2020, you might be feeling like there is darkness and hardship and struggle and anxiety, uh, lots and lots of things going on in your life. But scripture reminds us that even though we are feeling that way, that Jesus Christ never does. And this, of course, is why the Apostle John begins his gospel this way uh, in the New Testament book of John. He says, the light shines out of the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. We might be experiencing darkness, but the darkness cannot and does not overcome the light. The light, of course, is Jesus Christ. So no matter how much we might feel discouraged, how much we might feel like God can't handle this, no matter how much we might feel like I don't have peace, Jesus says, I have come to bring you peace and I can handle whatever darkness and hardship and struggle that you are facing today. And my friends, this is the promise of Christmas, that the light has come. The light has not come from within. The light has not come from without. The light has come from heaven. And look down to earth. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. And so as we think about Christmas, in the next few days, as we prepare our hearts, I want to remind you, that you can ring those bells. You can celebrate that God has come to earth, that God is bringing peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
that you are a God in the midst of great darkness and hardship and struggle, that you are still good, that you are still faithful, and that your light is still shining. God, we thank you for coming into the world through this Christ child born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago to right the wrongs of the world, to take on our sin, our brokenness, all that separates us from you, and to take it to the cross and to bury it in the pit of hell so that we can be in right relationship with you, God, now and for all eternity. But God, we continue to live in this broken and dark world, and we look forward to you coming again. And so God, keep our eyes looking up toward you and being reminded, God, that you are coming again for the ultimate and eternal healing in our lives and in this world. And we can look forward to that day of being with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.